Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the first letter of the Apostle Peter, reading there in the second chapter, especially verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and also Christian friends you are, who are worshiping with us this morning by means of the radio. Just so that everybody knows, this is the second service, the 10.30 service, in case you got your time clocks all mixed up last night. This is the second service, and we're happy to have you here. And I hope that all of us who are here in church this morning, and those of us who are worshiping by means of the radio, will be glad that we are worshiping at this hour. You heard me mention at the lectern that today is the third Sunday after Easter. It is also called Jubilate Sunday. That is a Latin word taken after the first word in the intro for today from the historic church. The intro saying, make a joyful noise unto God. And Jubilate means to make a joyful noise. So this is the Sunday when we make a joyful noise as the choir did unto our God uh, this morning. And the ancient epistle text read in the early Christian church for this Sunday was taken out of the first letter of the Apostle Peter where he writes to the Christians of his day. And you know it's rather thrilling to read that epistle and to know that in the world in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches that are liturgical, that is the epistle lesson that is read in those churches as also the gospel lesson. And that epistle lesson is also the basis for the sermon this morning. There we find Peter writing to the Christians of the first century, and he says to them, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I plead with you, this is my earnest exhortation from my heart to you, that as pilgrims and strangers, Christians, he says, that you would abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You and I may say, what was he saying to them? He was saying to them something like this, you are Christians, and therefore I plead with you, will you see to it in your life that you will abstain from fulfilling the lusts and the corruptions and the passions of your sinful heart, those lusts and those cravings which tempt you to kick over all traces, to get rid of any restraint in your life, to get rid of any inhibitions in your life, and to go out and to live and enjoy that which is wrong, to enjoy forbidden fruit. That's what he was saying. Christians, will you see to it that you will not fulfill the corruptions of your heart and overthrow all authority and all control and go out and enjoy sinful pleasures. And then he gives them the reason why he is asking them to do that. And he said, I ask you and I plead that you will abstain from 
fulfilling the fleshly lusts of your heart because I want to remind you of this fact. You are only strangers and pilgrims in this world. You're not permanent citizens. You're only going to be here for a little while. And because you are only going to be here for a little while, Christians, will you let that be the reason to induce you to see to it that in your life you will never fulfill the cravings and the lusts and the passions of your heart, overthrowing all control and going out and living as you please. And today, the Apostle Peter, Christian friends, on the basis of the Word of God, he's speaking to you as a Christian and he's speaking to me. And he is saying this thing, dearly beloved, calling you and me affectionately, again, the beloved of God, saying, will you please, and I plead with you, will you see to it that you abstain from fleshly lusts? which war against the soul. Will you make it this rule of your life, Christians, that you will never allow those corrupt passions and desires and sinful thoughts in your heart to ever tempt you to say, I don't care for any restraint. I don't care for any inhibitions. I'm getting rid of them. I'm going out and I'm going to live as I please. And I'm going to drink in all the forbidden fruits that the world has to offer. And he says, will you abstain from that for this reason that it might induce you? Will you just remember, Christians, that you are strangers and sojourners, that you aren't permanent residents of this world, that you are only here for a brief time? And you know, when you and I hear that plea from Peter, we may say to ourselves, well, I can't hardly believe that Peter is calling that I should hold in restraint the passions in my heart. Those desires that I want to get rid of any restraint and go out and live it up, and that I should do it for this reason that I'm only going to be here for a little while. We may say, I think that's about the poorest excuse and reason that would ever induce me to try to keep my passions in check. For we may say, if I'm only here for a little while, then it seems to me that I ought to really live it up that I ought to go out and live a little, that I ought to let this be my philosophy, the philosophy of the Epicurean, that I ought to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And if I'm going to die tomorrow and I'm only here for a little while, then I'd better go out and the most of it. I'd better go out and lay aside any kind of restraint, and I'd better say the sky is the limit, and I'm going out and drinking all sinful pleasures. I'm going out for immorality. I'm going out for incest. I'm going out for drunkenness. I'm going out for debauchery. I'm going out for dope because I'm here only a little while. And yet rather strange, the Apostle Peter says, Will you Christians please, will you see to it that you abstain from fleshly lusts? Will you see that you hold down the corruption in your heart that you're never tempted to kick over the traces? And all for this reason, and he still says, because you are strangers and pilgrims, you are only here for a little while. Peter would let you and me know this morning that that's one of the finest reasons why you and I ought to hold ourselves in control and not give way and say, I don't care, all restraint is going by the Lord, and I'm going to live. I'm going to live in adultery, and I'm going to live in immorality and in incest and debauchery and dope and drunkenness because I'm here for only a brief time. 
We may say to ourselves this morning, is it true that the fact that you and I are only strangers and pilgrims in this world, that that is a tremendously good reason to induce us to see that we abstain from fleshly lusts. And I am sure that on the basis of the word of God, as Peter speaks to us from the word, that you and I can be certain because he reminds us in the first place how foolish it really is for you and me to choose sinful pleasures in this little while, especially when we have to do it at the expense of perfect pleasures which will last forever. Isn't it rather foolish as Christians when we're here just for a brief time and we have no continuing city here and you and I are only temporary residents? Isn't it rather foolish that we say, but nevertheless, I'm going to go out for forbidden fruits and I don't care about the perfect joys of eternity? Perhaps the joys of forbidden fruit, we may say, that they'll more than compensate for any kind of joys that we shall have in heaven with our Lord. And let's look at it this way, and especially you young friends, there must be joy in kicking over the traces, in saying I'm going to have no inhibitions in my life whatsoever. There must be a lot of fun in going out and drinking in and eating forbidden fruit. There must be a lot of fun in adultery. There must be a lot of fun in incest. There must be a lot of joy in drunkenness. There must be a lot of joy in debauchery. There must be a lot of joy in dope, in taking the acid, in taking the trip. You may say, preacher, why do you say that? Why? Because there are millions who are doing just that very thing who have overthrown every restraint and every control. There are millions who have said, there isn't anything going to hold me back. I'm going out and I'm going to eat, drink and be merry, and I'm going to live a little, and I'm going to live what I want to live. It must have a lot of joy. And you and I would never deny it. But I think we should also look again and say to ourselves, how long does it last? How long does it last when all restraint is gone and we're going to live for immorality and for incest? How long does it last that we find joy in drunkenness? How long does it last that we find joy in debauchery? How long does it last that we find joy in doom? When you and I observe those who have simply cast all restraint aside, we find that there's something tantalizing about forbidden fruit, isn't there? That there's something that tortures and that brings a man on and on. Why is it that the person who has dedicated his life to immorality, why is it that even in homosexuality and lesbianism, he no longer can find satisfaction? Why is it that the appetite gets jaded? Why is it that the drunk goes on and drinks more and more and it's never quite satisfying? Why is it that the dope addict has to go on from marijuana to something stronger and stronger? Why is it that the immoral person can run through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine marriages and still have an appetite that somehow or other isn't satisfied? Jesus, you know, one day said, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What does it profit you if you lay every restraint aside and go out and really live it up? and say, I don't care what anybody says. 
I am going to fulfill every lust and every passion of my heart and I'm going to drink it into the foam. We say to ourselves, what does it profit a man if you have? With a jaded appetite, Jesus says, and lose his own soul. It was Solomon, wasn't it, who ran the gamut from A to Z in his life, who went out and again with no inhibitions, with no discretion, and at the end of life with a jaded appetite still being tantalized by the cravings of his heart, who could only write, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything is vain, everything is for nothing. Then we say to ourselves, well, how about the joys of Jesus Christ? You preachers talk about him quite a bit. Are those perfect joys? Isn't it possible that, again, forbidden fruit can more than compensate, even if it's only for a little while, than for the eternal joy? And I would only say this to you this morning, that when the Son of God became flesh and came into this world, and God's Son died on the cross in order that we might have the joy of eternal life, it must be something worthwhile. It must be something tremendous in the very fact that when he was here on earth and the cross was looming before him, when for the joy of going back home he suffered hell and damnation for you and me on the cross, then you and I must conclude that the joys of heaven are tremendous. They are perfect joys if God died to provide them and if it suits God. And therefore it is rather foolish, isn't it, for you and me to say I'm going to take the very desires and the covetousnesses of my heart and the filthy things and I'm going to go out and I'm going to throw all restraint to the wind and I'm going to live it up. And then it's so foolish, isn't it, when this little while is over to spend an eternity in hell regretting such a crazy choice. And some may say, do you believe that there's eternal punishment after death? And I certainly do, because the Word of God says so. And you may laugh at it, and you may scorn it, but may I say, friend, we just celebrated Easter, and my Christ is a living Christ. And because he who died arose again from the dead, you're going to have to get rid of a living Christ, because one who lives is coming back. And that one has told us that when you and I shall choose to live it up away from him, it means an eternity of separation from him. Imagine what hell must be like to spend an eternity with your soul and mind still tantalizing you and me with the corruptions and again uh, with the cravings of our soul that cannot be satisfied. That's hell. That's what it is. You and I may say if it's hell in this world to have cravings that you and I have never mastered, what must an eternal life be like it? And that's what it is, to be separated from the mercy and the love of God. Peter says, I plead with you, Christians, will you abstain from fleshly lusts, from sinful desires that tempt you to overthrow all control and to go out and to live for forbidden fruit? He says, will you remember that you're only a stranger and a pilgrim? You're just here for a little time. And when you and I then see that's a tremendously good reason and inducement, we ought to say to ourselves this morning, as Christians, I'm going to determine that I am going to abstain. I'm going to not fulfill the lusts of my heart. And that means that every day then in this little while that you and I have, we're going to have to go to the cross and crucify our flesh with all of its affections and lusts. You may say, well, where did we ever get this heart like we have? We go back to the Word of God. It talks about original sin. When our first parents sinned, 
again they lost the image of God and because you and I are born of sinful parents we come into this world with sinful hearts and with the corruptions that are in your heart and in mine with again those horrible cravings that we know that are wrong Jesus said out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies oh there was a man again who didn't want to believe in original sin you know him as Mark Twain also had the name of Samuel Clemens. You and I may know him as a humorist. But Samuel Clemens, if you know him religiously, was a man that hated God with all the power that he had. He blasphemed him. He hated God. This is the way he spoke in this version about God. He says, imagine God putting us into the world, filled with a lot of cravings and a lot of desires, and then telling us that to fulfill him, it's all wrong. And he hated God. When he married the young lady with whom he was in love, he told her that he had no use for God, but she was a Christian young girl. And he said, it's all right if you marry me, you can go on with your Christian life, and you can have prayer at the table. But it happened one day at Mark Twain's table that when his wife said grace, he finally looked at her and he blew up. He said, shut up, and I never want to hear another prayer at this table. When his beloved was dying, and he tried to comfort her. He said to her, Perhaps, my dear, you can turn to Christ and religion and you will find some comfort. And she looked up at him and she says, Sam, it's all gone. Sam, everything's gone. There's nothing left. When do you and I know this? We've got to go to Calvary. The only way we can squelch those desires is to crucify them by repentance in Jesus Christ and to say no. And then there comes this joy in this little while of discovering and at a great surprise that there is fun in decent living. Rather strange. You know, you and I forget, especially you young folks, you forget that the most happy person that ever lived on this earth was Jesus Christ. Maybe we preachers are guilty of talking about the cross to the point that you imagine him only as a suffering Christ, which of course he was. But may I impress it on your soul and mind he was the happiest person that ever lived in this world don't you ever forget it he was happy why because he was one who always did the will of God that in holiness there is happiness and don't you let anybody ever tell you that there isn't today again as the apostle Peter speaks to you and me and he says, as Christians, will you abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul? Will you squelch those corruptions and those evil thoughts and those desires and those lusts that tempt you to kick over all traces and that you want to go out and you're going to live a little and you're going to eat, drink, and be merry and die and you're going to say, I don't care about restraint? Uh, Peter says, will you hold it in check? And for this reason that you're only a pilgrim and you're only a stranger, you're only here for a little bit. You and I may say, is that much of a reason? It's tremendous because the Apostle Peter would remind you me how foolish it is to choose to, again, to choose to live in sinful pleasure in this little while in which you and I are in this world when in this little while there is scarcely time for you and me as Christians to be the example and the influence that Jesus Christ wants us to be on the world. Have you ever asked yourself, why are you alive as a Christian, or why am I alive? How come when you and I became a Christian, were baptized, how come we didn't die? How does it come there's still a life to be lived? 
You know why? Because we are the examples that are to stand before the world and give the world testimony and to witness to the world that Jesus Christ is worthwhile. That means that in your life and mine, bear in mind, the only Bible the world reads is you. The only Bible the world reads is I. That's the only Bible, your life and mine. Then you and I look out on our country today and we say, what in the world has happened? What in the world has happened? When we look at some of our youth, what in the world has happened with immorality? What's happened in the home? As an example, these kids came out of homes. Where is Jesus Christ? Where was the example? What's happened in dope and what's happened in marijuana? And oh, you may sit there so calm and placid this morning, and you may say, Preacher, there's no dope going on in Marion. And may I tell you, I wish you could be in my office sometime. When that son or daughter comes home, and you wonder what in the world's wrong, let me tell you, Mom, and maybe don't. Don't you ever kid yourself that some of our kids don't know what dope is. If you want proof, come around. Don't sit there so innocent-like. Don't catch yourself. Don't hide your head and, and say this is something that happens in Columbus. No, it happens in Marion. Come into my office if you want some proof. You and I may say this, morning, what's wrong? Why is there a thrown off of all restraint, thrown off of all control, a throwing away of every, again, inhibition, What's wrong? What about influence? You and I are in the world that by our lives we shall be the Bible that the world may read that in their day of visitation, in the time when God makes it easy, and this is a tremendous thing, that in the lives of men who don't know Christ, a God arranges things that there come easy times for them to embrace Christ. A day of visitation, maybe a day of adversity. When again they look at you and me and they say, Christ must be worthwhile. And when it's easier to believe in him in that day of visitation. The influence, can you, father or mother, or can I ever measure our influence that we have in the world? Oh, I think of Tommy Smothers. You may wonder, why did the Columbia Broadcasting Company and Corporation take off the Smothers Brothers? For the simple reason that Tommy Smothers lacked something. He lacks a sense of taste. He lacks a sense of understanding what is proper. He lacks an understanding of what influence really means. Just one illustration. The Smothers brothers wonder why they were taken off the air. The one night, and I have never watched him too much, when he took the beautiful hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, and put some idiotic words to it, and then they marched around with that deadpan look on his face like he was a half-wit. And he didn't have the sense of taste to know that you don't do that. You don't do that in the living rooms of American homes. When a man is so lacking in taste of what is proper, he can stand and shout that it was censorship and he's not to be censored. But let me tell you, I admire the CBS for the guts that they told the Smothers Brothers, you don't go into the living rooms in this country because you have no sense of taste. You don't have to define good taste. You and I know it when we see it. 
But you don't take onward Christian soldiers and you don't mimic and laugh at God and get away with it. You may not like that, but I admire CBS that they said this is not the stuff that's going into the homes in America. When you and I realize that we are here just for a little while, and we are here as an influence, well then again, Peter says, don't go ahead and let the corruptions of your heart, or let them simply say, I'm going to throw away all restraint. And then to spend an eternity because we have regretting the fact that we are there because we have contributed to the spiritual delinquency of human beings. Listen, if somebody by your life and mine, when you and I have said, I'm going to live it up and I don't care about restraint, if some soul that looks at you and me is lost and you and I are damned, we have his blood on our soul. Don't forget it. Do you know of anybody in your life that is going to be lost because you and I fail to abstain from fulfilling the corruptions that we're born with. It ought to mean then today that we should be determined that in your life and mine we're going to abstain from anything in our life because we're here just such a little time to rebel against authority. Why are our young kids so frequently rebelling against authority? They want no control. Some of them want absolutely no one to tell them what to do. And in our country, oh, you may say, I'll go to sleep tonight and tomorrow things are going to be all right. But when they storm into the president's offices in our universities and hold even presidents of universities captive, do you're going to do as we want to do. When we get to this place that we can break law because we don't want it, that's anarchy. Let me assure you that when Peter wrote to them in his day, he said, For the Lord's sake, you become obedient to authority. The founders of this great nation that you and I love, they gave us a code of ethics and a code of conduct that you and I have no right to break law because we don't like it. And some of you may say, Well, I'm not in favor of the Vietnam War, and I don't want to fight. May I say, young friend, this to you? If because of your faith in Jesus Christ, if this is a conviction of your soul, that you can't go to Vietnam and fight and still remain a Christian, that your soul would be lost, your country and mine is so tremendously great that all you have to do is ask for some conscientious objection papers and you sign them and you prove it and you will not go to Vietnam. That's the nation I love. May I tell you, young friends, this nation that we love doesn't ask you to do anything that is against Jesus Christ. It respects you. May we in this little while then, when we say to ourselves, I, I'm not going to throw restraint to the winds. I'm going to, again, keep myself in control that it may not be too late that this nation may still live. I don't know. It's coming apart at the seams. Let's not sit placidly and simply cover our eyes and say it's going to go away. It isn't going to go away. You and I as Christians, we're only here for a little while. And Peter says, abstain 
from fulfilling the cravings of your heart, overthrowing all restraint, and you're going to live it up. Oh, is it a good reason because we're only here for a little while? Peter reminds us that it is because he says how foolish it is really for us to choose evil pleasures in life in this little while, then at the same time put on Christ as a cloak and to use him as we play the role of the hypocrite. Oh, we may say, well, I'm going to try to get both of these. I'm going to live to the world, and I don't care. I'm going to simply go out and let my joy go out and be unconfined and unrefined, and I'm going to live it up, and then I'm going to pose as a Christian, and I'll use him as a cloak, and I'll play the role of the hypocrite, the two-faced person, the actor. You know, Judas tried to do that. How much fun do you think there is in playing the role of a hypocrite, being afraid to be found out at any time? How much fun do you think Judas had when he had 30 pieces of silver in his pocket and he wondered how soon the disciples would find out that he was double-crossing Jesus? How much fun is there in, again, playing like we have Jesus and yet living to the world? Because, you see, when that day when we're found out comes, you know what Judas did when, again, he was discovered. And he knew that everybody knew what he was. And when there came that sense of hopelessness and despair, he went down that road. When he didn't come back, did he? He took his own life. And oh, that's the potential road of the suicide when we are uncovered. There can't be much fun in overthrowing authority and overthrowing restraint and self-control and living for the world in a, a little while when it means to spend an eternity regretting the day we were born. You know, Jesus said about Judas, it was too bad that man was ever born. It ought to mean this, friend, living in this world as Christians, when the Apostle Peter speaks to us in the 20th centuries as he did to the Christians in the first, we would say to ourselves, it's a good reason that ought to induce me that I will keep myself in restraint the passions, the lusts, and I'm not going to throw it overboard and go out and live it up in immorality and in incest and in drunkenness and again in all things of dope and duplicity. I am not going to do it. Then we ought to say this is the way that I can conquer this, that every day I can make it in this little while easier for me to hold myself in restraint, but reminding myself every day that I'm only here for a little while. You know, some Christians have a beautiful custom, and it might be something nice in your life and in mine, and it, it does help. Some Christians get up every morning, and they go to the window, and they pull the curtains back, and they look out, and they say at the beginning of the Lord, I'm only here for a little while. Is today the day? Oh, it doesn't mean they're morbid, but they're just saying, Lord, are you coming for me today? Is this my last day? I'm only a stranger and only a pilgrim. I know that. And I'm only here for a long time, Lord. Are you coming today? You know, I found that a tremendous comfort when life piles up and I look at a week and I think, how can one person do everything that's coming? And it, it's lovely to stand in the morning and look out and say, Lord, are you coming today? You see, if he's coming today, I don't have to worry about tomorrow and somebody else is going to have to do those things. But, oh, what peace comes and we say, Lord, are you coming today? And then we say, well, I'm not going to give vent to any of the passions and the corruptions of my heart for a little few moments of joy that are wrong at the loss of my soul, God forbid. Then there will be this joy in this little while that we will say to ourselves every day, I I'm not going to do it. Lord, you may come today. The best is yet to come. 
I've always liked that story about that missionary that was coming home from foreign fields. He had spent practically all his life in Africa on the continent preaching Jesus Christ. And he was on the way and the boat was docking in New York Harbor. And as the missionary was on the deck looking out at a lot of people, he, he looked and he wondered whether he could spot an eye or a face that looked familiar. On the boat also was President William Howard Taft. He was coming home too. And there on the dock was the military band striking up. Here comes the chief, members of the cabinet. And here was President Taft with a retinue with himself. And he walked down the gangplank and people shouted, there's the president. And then the missionary who had spent a life in Africa, he walked down the gangplank alone. And he looked to the right or to the left thinking, well, maybe somebody cares. Maybe somebody would come and greet him. But there wasn't a soul. He says he walked the gangplank and he stood on the dock all alone. And he stood there and he cried for a moment. And he thought, nobody cares. Nobody cares that I've given my life to Christ. And I preached him and shown them the way to heaven. And then suddenly he said, he realized, he said, why, I'm only here for a little while. This only hurts for a little while. He said, I'm not home yet. That's what's wrong. Oh, when I get home, the Lord, he'll welcome me. I'm just not home. That's why nobody was here to welcome me. But when I get home, the Lord that I serve, Oh, it will be tremendous. I'm not home yet. Everything's all right. It only hurts for a little while. And when you and I realize the best is yet to come, we can walk the glory road and we can sing, Oh, Jerusalem, the golden with milk and honey blessed. Beneath thy contemplation, sink heart and voice suppressed. I know not, oh, I know not what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory, what bliss beyond compare. Oh, when we realize we're here for a little while, then we say, oh, the best is yet to come. What bliss beyond compare? That's living. Christians, let's realize we're only here for a little while. Let's keep ourselves in check. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.